welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Ficini. Today, we are going to talk Chicago Bulls and the NBA draft. And if we're talking about those two topics alone, there's nobody better in the world to talk about them with than Ricky O'Donnell from over at SB Nation. Ricky covers the NBA draft over at SB Nation, as well as does a number of different things across the board. He also is a lifelong Bulls fan who grew up blogging about the Bulls, fair to say, and, uh, you know, continues to live in Chicago and has thoughts on the Chicago Bulls, as always. Ricky, what's going on, buddy? Sam, thanks for having me, man. I wish that we could talk about a happier era of Chicago Bulls basketball, but since Lonzo Ball went down with what may be a career-ending injury, the Bulls have been straight-up garbage and now appear to be at an inflection point of this era with Zach Levine uh, sort of more or less requesting a trade yesterday. So things uh, seem like they are going to change, I guess, for this franchise, and that is badly needed because this has been a miserable watch through the first 11 games of the season. Yeah, I thought it couldn't get worse than that Toronto game in their second game, which was one of the most laughable basketball games uh, at the end that I think I've ever seen in my life, like among NBA games. I mean, look, you and I watch a lot of college basketball. Things get weird in college basketball, to say the least. They don't get weird like they do, like they did in that game in the NBA. And then things have just like tailed off and gotten like more miserable. And the problem that I had with the Bulls coming into this year, and Bulls fans were disappointed when I always uh, pick their under. Uh, it felt like every year I picked their under to uh, in win total this year. I was just like, look, their entire team stayed healthy last year, and they still only won what thirty eight games. Forty. Like, they had. Yeah, they had 77 from Zach Levine. I think that Vucevic played damn near 80. I think that DeMar played damn near 80. And if those three stay entirely healthy, yeah, like maybe they can win 40 again. But if they don't, like, what do you do? And now, like, they're healthy and they're still not playing well because it's hard, I think, in today's NBA to run back a situation for multiple years let's say we're going on year three of this now. It's hard to run back a situation that wins 40 games and make the players on the team like feel confident and comfortable that you guys are doing the right thing as an organization. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, it has become apparent through the start of this season that these guys just don't really like playing together, probably because they know the team is not very good. Uh, they looked promising when they had Lonzo for those 35 games a couple seasons ago. Last year, there was sort of the hope that Lonzo could come back. He did not come back. This season, he's been ruled out for the entire year uh, before the season even began. And I think that the Bulls front office thought, well, we won 40 games. You know, we were a bit better than that by point differential. I think they were like the 13th best team in the league by point differential last year. Yeah, they had a top five defense last year, too. They had the number five defense in the league, which was a goddamn miracle. It was one of the two craziest uh, efficiency stats last year, with the Bulls having the fifth best defense and the Knicks having the third best offense. 
And yeah. uh, I haven't looked it up in like a week, but I believe that neither of those things are even close to being true right now. I think the Knicks have also fallen off offensively. But yeah, I think, you know, the Bulls had some low hanging fruit in that they did not take or make any three pointers last year. So you sign a volume shooter in Javon Carter, you replace, uh, you know, Javante Green and Derek Jones Jr. with a little bit more willing shooter in Torrey Craig, who was coming off a year where he hit 39%. And you thought, well, given the Bulls' very low, pathetic goals of just making the playoffs in a league where half the teams in each conference make the playoffs, maybe there is some room for improvement here. But what the Bulls overlooked in doing that was that none of the key players on the team enjoyed being on a group with such a low ceiling that really had no chance uh, to accomplish anything more than a first-round playoff beatdown. And I think what we've seen through the start of this season is that Zach Levine has more or less mailed it in. He uh, is kind of quiet quitting in a lot of ways, even before yesterday's more public trade demand came out. Vucevic has just been pissed off the entire year. Uh, Starting with the first game of the season, he drew a technical foul. That sort of triggered their uh, infamous players-only meeting after the first game. Game one, players only. (laughs) Vooch believes he should get more touches. Vooch believes the offense should run through him. Vooch says he was promised a bigger role. Okay, Vooch. I don't know if anyone else really thinks that this is for the benefit of anyone besides for Vooch himself, but uh, he's maintained that. And then you have DeMar, who just sort of plays DeMar ball and is awesome and wonderful in his own ways, but also he's 34 years old and uh, his ability to be effective playing his signature brand of basketball is starting to wane a bit. So, Uh, with the defensive regression that has come this year. And let's be honest, dude, the Bulls were never the fifth best defensive team in the league. To accomplish that last year, Billy Donovan is like a minor miracle worker. Uh, This year, they have the same starting lineup, but they sub in Kobe White for Io DeSumo, thinking, okay, he can lift the number 24 offense. Maybe we'll drop a bit defensively, but the offensive trade-off will be worth it. Instead, the offense has barely improved. The defense has plummeted. And the Bulls look like a garbage team. I mean, this is a team that very much does not deserve to continue existing. Thank you, Zach Levine, for being the only person who seems uh, to have any sort of ambition for something greater and to, like, break this thing up. So it's a trash team. And now 11 games into the year, we are at a point where the season is already over. And we can start thinking about whatever the next iteration of the Bulls look like uh, after Shams' report yesterday that... Uh, Zach wants out. And I'm glad Ricky brought that up. NBA teams, according to Sham Sharania over at The Athletic, are probing the availability of two-time All-Star Zach Levine. And there's been increased openness from the organization and player about exploring a trade, league sources said. Look, nobody should be surprised here. It's just very bulls, in my opinion. To decide to blow up a roster the year after Victor Wembanyama is in the draft and you could theoretically try and like do what you can to bottom out and get a bunch of picks and everything like that and tank in a good year and instead do it in the 2024 draft, which Ricky and I will talk about later in our Champions Classic breakdown, where my goodness, this draft does not look anything resembling good at the top right now. It's going to be a real struggle to find like a guy worth taking at the number one spot, in my opinion, at this point. So you look at all of this and the bulls decide to 
wait to try and be good last season. It just doesn't, it doesn't line up for me. It, it was just such a disastrous decision to continue to rock with this team for last season. I think I had you on last year and we talked about blowing up the bulls like in the middle of the year and they decided not to do it. Now, Zach Levine, as you said, is the sensible one here and is like, we got to end this. We got to go. We, we, we gotta, we gotta make sure that this happens. And I'll say this too. Like you mentioned that you think that like Zach Levine is like quiet quitting. I think the effort level has probably not been quite as strong. I also think he's in the middle of just like a shooting slump right now. Okay. If you look at his numbers, he over the course of the last three seasons has, has hit 46% of his wide open threes last season. So far this season, he's only hit 29% of his wide open threes. Uh, so far he has only made 32% of his catch and shoot shots. Consistently, he's been 41 to 46% on those shots as well. Part of this is just like a shooting slump with Zach Levine. Part of it is also that, like, I think he needs to probably, you know, continue to work hard defensively and bring something to the table, uh, creating constant rim pressure uh, at the basket. Hasn't happened yet. And that's a real thing. But where we're at now is, I mean, you you agree with me. The Bulls just need to move him, right? Uh, be it now, be it in January when everybody in the league becomes available. You do move him by the end of the season, right? A hundred percent. You have to move him. Uh, this team doesn't deserve to continue to stick together. But the question, Sam, is can the Bulls make a good Zach Levine trade? And I am very skeptical that they're going to be able to do that especially when you consider the importance of this move to the future of the franchise. Zach Levine's a really good player. Uh, He should be one of the most dynamic off-ball scorers in the NBA. His combination of volume three-point shooting and rim pressure should make him an absolute weapon. Uh, And, you know, last year for the final 60 games of the season, he averaged 26 points a game on something like, I think, 63 true shooting. I mean, the guy is a super efficient scorer when he's locked in. He still has warts as a player. He's a very bad decision maker with the ball in his hands. Not Maybe not very bad, but he's not someone you can trust to be your full-time on-ball guy. Zach is what he is in year 10, and that is an off-ball score. Defensively, he's always going to have question marks. And if you've kept a close eye on Zach throughout his career, you know he is truly bad in clutch situations. And it's like kind of, it's kind of mind-blowing uh, how poor he is at executing clutch situations. But You know, the guy is a very good player for a reason, and the Bulls need to get a good return for him when they trade him. Uh, I'll kick it to you, Sam, here. You know, I just don't really see a good Zach Levine trade on the table, and I think coming off what a lot of people consider a lackluster return for both Damian Lillard and James Harden, well, obviously Zach a little younger than those guys, but not as good of a player. Um, So, you know, looking at the landscape of like, what could the Bulls get back? I can tell you what I would like for them to get back, but my confidence level in this front office, acing this trade, Sam, is it's at the floor. I have no confidence. (laughs) So I think assessing Levine's value is really interesting, right? Because on some level he is, I believe still just 28 years old, right? Yeah. Still 28 years old. 
he is signed to a four-year deal with $178 million left on it. He also is somebody that has dealt with a few injuries over the course of his career. His knees, there are some questions, let's say, about them. He tore his ACL when he was younger. He had, if I remember correctly, coming into last season, uh, uh, like knee surgery just to kind of clear some things up. He actually missed four of their first eight games last season and then from that point forward only missed one game in their final like 74 games and I think it was the second to last game of the season so Levine is a guy that when he's healthy he's good and he likes to play he plays a ton but the question is like how long will the knees hold up I think in like a real tangible way and if there is in any way shape or form like a real concern there let's say he gets hurt in like year three of this deal or year two of this deal that he has remaining. That contract becomes like a real thing to hang over an organization's head at this point. So I'm trying to figure out where exactly his value lies. I've kind of reached out to a lot of different NBA people and it's really all over the map. Like some people wouldn't want the contract. They just would be worried about it. And others are like, Look, like in theory, in a vacuum, we think Zach Levine is really good and you have to take a risk at some point. And why, why not? Right. He's an all-star level creator. He can be, a, I think, a number two. Like people that like him, I think, think he can be like a good number two option on a strong playoff team, but probably not a number one option, which is what he is right now in Chicago. So. I hope that that kind of sets the table along with the fact that over the course of his two all-star seasons, he was very close to those 26 point per game with a 63% true shooting percentage numbers that Ricky O'Donnell mentioned a minute ago when talking about his second half production last season. Over the course of those two all-star seasons, Levine averaged 25.8 points, shot 49% from the field, 40.4% from three and 85% from the line on uh, seven three-point attempts per game, five free throw attempts per game, average 4.8 rebounds, 4.7 assists. He can really do a lot. Like, he is a really good player. The people that say, like, oh, yeah, like, Alex Caruso will bring back more in a trade. Th those people are wrong, I think. Like, I love Alex Caruso, and we'll talk about Caruso here in a minute because I think all of this should lead to, like, the Bulls blowing everything up if they do this. But Zach Levine is, like, a legitimate dude. I also think there are, because of that, there are more teams out there that will be willing to like do something like this. And it's not just the teams that are like contending. Like everyone brings up Philadelphia. Everyone brings up Miami. I don't know. Like the day that I swear to God, the team that came to mind immediately for me was Detroit. I was like, okay. So Detroit has no floor spacing around Cade Cunningham. They have no secondary creation around Cade Cunningham. What if you brought in? Zach Levine, you played him off the ball next to Cade at point. That actually is like a real lift for them, I think. And on top of it, you have a situation where let's call it the Troy Weaver's situation is maybe a little bit uncertain moving forward. Uh, if this team is as bad as it has been so far this season. So if you look for an organization that might make a panic trade, like Detroit fits a lot of bills there right Ricky 
Yeah, I think so. And, you know, the team I was going to bring up, another young team that may be ready to take a leap that needs some shooting is, of course, the Orlando Magic, who also just appear to be playing in a shoebox with Paolo and Franz leading the way and just no shooting around them. So both of those teams, really similar, young teams built around high draft picks that have sort of sought to acquire multi-dimensional players whose hole in their skill set is shooting. Zach Levine can shoot the hell out of the ball. Uh, I honestly think that Zach's probably one of the 10 best shooters in the league if you factor out the guys who can only shoot, if you factor out only the specialists. Uh, We haven't really seen him in truly like a high-volume three-point shooting role in the Bulls that I would love to see him play. I don't know if that's because Billy Donovan hasn't wanted to put him in that role because he's tried and Zach doesn't want to do it. Uh, but this is a guy who should be taking about 10 threes a game. And if he does that, and if he's whipping around screens, he's going to have quite a bit of gravity when you also factor in his blazing first step, his ability to score at the rim. Uh, so there's definitely a good, useful player in here and someone who could help a lot of teams like the contenders you mentioned, but also, you know, a team like Detroit, a team like Orlando and Orlando in particular, you know, they got some movable contracts with uh, Jonathan Isaac, Markel Fultz is expiring. I'm less familiar with Detroit's cap sheet off the top of my head, but I know they do have some like mid-sized salaries they could move. You got James Wiseman on a deal. They have Wiseman, they have Monte Morris, they have Joe Harris, like all of whom can get to Levine's money as expirings if they want to. So, yeah, I think those are two pretty good uh, options. And I think at the end of the day, like, Bulls fans just sort of have to wrap their head around the fact that, like, you're not getting a DeJounte Murray level return for Zach Levine. You're not getting three first-round picks and a young player who could be part of the core long-term or anything like that. I think it's going to be kind of a little bit of an underwhelming return, but it is important that the Bulls get the best possible return in this deal instead of like the easiest, most convenient return because there is just no young talent on this roster and any path forward probably requires a true teardown and you need to maximize, you know, what you're getting in return for these current players on your roster to get that off to a better start than the last time the Bulls tried to rebuild the franchise following the Jimmy Butler trade when they just did not acquire any future first round picks or maybe one first round pick, uh, which I think they used on Chandler Hutchison in that deal. So, uh, you know, just not good stuff from the Bulls and this, this rebuild, if they do it and I pray that they will needs to start from a higher point in terms of the return. I'm going to throw out some random deals that struck me uh, and you tell me yes or no in terms of your interest or just generally where you are. Uh, Jonathan Isaac, Gary Harris, Jet Howard, and a first-round pick for Zach Levine. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. I would You're I would probably – you know, would you go two first-rounders in that deal and then not take Jet? The Bulls could probably use someone like Jet. I liked Jet, but I think that that could be like a point of negotiation. And, you know, you could yeah. probably convince me either way, but – uh, Jet, of course, taken with the Bulls' own pick, traded from the Vucevic deal. So that would be sort of fitting to acquire him in that trade. But, yeah, I like that one, I think. Uh, with the Pistons, look, I don't know what's going on totally with Jaden Ivey. I think Jaden Ivey in the minutes I've seen has been quite good. I think Jaden Ivey is, like, the guy I would be targeting if I was Chicago Absolutely. in this. Like, if I could go get him, I would do that. 
If I was Detroit, I want to be a hundred percent clear. I would not move Jaden Ivy in a Zach Levine trade. Let's say that they disagree momentarily. Let's just like, let's say that they have a different opinion than we do, because frankly, it seems like they have a different opinion than we do, given that like they're starting Killian Hayes over him right now, which is the most bananas thing happening in the NBA, in my opinion. Uh, you could get to Levine's money basically with James Wiseman, Joe Harris, Jaden Ivey. Like you would just do that, right? Like forget even adding a first. Like you just, yeah. I would do that, but man, does that feel like the Butler trade where the Bulls didn't add a first? They moved up, I think, eight slots, nine slots in the draft from 16 to seven. Uh, took Lowry Markinen in that deal. So I would love for them to net some firsts in that in this yeah. trade. But I mean Ivy's the best young prospect who could potentially be on the table. Ivy's been really good this year if you just look at his per 36 minute numbers. Obviously he's a little raw, but I think like of any young player you're talking about in this trade, Ivy has the most upside. The Bulls need some high upside talent because there's no high upside talent on the roster. So even without a pick, am I doing that trade, Sam? What a question. I think, yeah, I think I'm doing it. Uh, but then they better get some first-round picks for some of these other guys as the rest of the teardown continues. Let's say that they don't let's say they don't put Jaden Ivey on the table. Joe Harris, James Wiseman, uh, Marcus Sasser, and sure. let's say a first and like something else, maybe, like something like that. <laughs> I think that most Bulls fans would view all these trades as trash, but I'm like, yeah, this is as good as you're just like in. <laughs> Give me Marcus Sasser, baby. He looks solid uh, at the he start of his rookie year. So, yeah, that sounds good to me, too. Uh, for Philadelphia, Marcus Morris, Nick Batum, Robert Covington, Jaden Springer, two first round picks. Two first rounders? That's pretty good. I want that Clippers unprotected 2028 first rounder that is perhaps the best possible pick that could be available in any trade uh, involving Levine. If I'm the Sixers, I'm not doing that trade though. I think the Levine Maxi backcourt provides too many question marks defensively. Maxi's already taken such an offensive leap this year that you may not need a pure volume scorer next to him like Levine. So if I'm the Bulls, I'm doing that trade for sure. Give me Jaden Springer. I don't know if you mentioned Paul Reed in there, but he'd be good to get to. And the you two want picks. Paul Reed. <laughs> yeah, is the two, you know, the homecoming from the former DePaul superstar, Paul Reed. Uh, and then, yeah, give me that Clippers 2028 pick for sure. That's a good offer, I think. Uh, the Golden State Warriors are a team that I've seen some people mention as an idea. I think the potential being like Chris Paul, one of moody or kuminga and like picks or something like that maybe like maybe kuminga i guess because it feels like to me he's the one that's more expendable there even though he certainly has like real talent yeah i think you know if i'm trying to think of a warriors deal and i i haven't done this yet so i don't know the salaries exactly but i mean the warriors probably want caruso i would think so give them levine and caruso now you're probably talking about trading Clay Thompson, which I think Bob Myers might have quit, so he didn't have to trade the legend Clay Thompson or you know resign him to a bad contract. But uh, if the Warriors did decide that hey, we really need to go all, all in on Steph, Clay has slipped. It's time to you know try to get a, a, 
player with a somewhat similar skill set in Levine, at least offensively. Younger, uh, more explosive. Let's get Caruso too. And yeah, if the Bulls could land, let's say Clay, Clay's expiring, correct? And then let's say Moody. Yes. And then some picks. To me, that's a good trade. Send out Caruso and Levine. Sure. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, Let's see here. The Pelicans are another team I've heard because the Pelicans are struggling quite a bit offensively right now. I mean, like, is a weird challenge like Brandon Ingram deal like interesting? I have always thought the Bulls will land Brandon Ingram uh, as DeMar starts to sort of age out of his prime. It just seems like an Arturis Karnaschovas type of move when we are chasing the seven seed every year. Why not build the whole team around Brandon Ingram? I've always been an Ingram guy, but at this point, like what the yeah. Bulls actually need is assets and young players. They need picks and young players. I don't think they need Brandon Ingram, but I think the way this front office operates with insanely low goals and pathetic expectations, <laughs> Brandon Ingram could be a player that they would really like in a return for Zach. So I think... To me, Arturis would be, uh, he would find that very appealing. You can also make the money work with something like Jonas, Herb Jones, like Dyson Daniels. Sure. Yeah. Give me Dyson Daniels and Herb Jones, of course. Pick. Yeah. Like you, you can do it that way too. I don't like this for New Orleans for what it's worth. Like I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't want to pair the CJ and uh Levine backcourt defensively I think that just doesn't really work for me but like I I understand why they would be mentioned uh Toronto is another idea I had again like weird challenge trade with him and Siakam and the Bulls try to extend Siakam because of course that's what they would do at that point or you could just do something like Gary Trent uh Thad Young, Otto Porter, I think gets you pretty close. You might have to add like one more player Boucher. in there to make that Boucher happen. is another one, I think, they yeah. could add in that trade. Boucher has one more year left, so I was trying to only do expirings, but you could certainly get there with Boucher. Um, I think you could do like Gary Trent, Boucher, and Thad Young would get you there money-wise uh, if they're willing to take on an extra year. Again, like, I don't know what Toronto would be willing to add to that. Like, it'd have to be multiple firsts or Grady Dick. And I wouldn't want to add Grady Dick in this deal, right? I'd take Grady Dick from the Bulls' perspective. But, yeah, you need a pick. You need Grady Dick. And, of course, they're already out of pick for the Pirtle trade. So it gets complicated. But I think Toronto, just obviously, just another team that, like, needs shooting, needs some off-the-dribble creation. Levine is an excellent driver. Uh, and they could really use someone like that. So, you know, like in addition to his floor spacing. So, yeah, I think Toronto's an obvious fit. Um, I don't love that package compared to some of these other ones we're talking about, but yeah. you're getting the salary relief, I guess. And if you know they can they can throw two picks in there, then I'm listening. Here's the last one I wanted to bring up. I'm not going to bring up the Knicks. I, I just don't. Again, I think the Knicks should be hunting for a real like needle mover. Who's like a superstar, not, you know, a number two guy. I think they need the number one guy at this point. I think Levine would really help them, but I think that they need the next guy. I guess we have to talk about the Lakers too. Well, we'll do that momentarily, but the other team that like really stuck out to me that was, you know, in the Orlando Detroit zone is Utah. 
Utah is the worst backcourt in the NBA right now. Like it's not even a question in my opinion They they are, you, you watch that backcourt play. It is, it is hard every single night. You could do something like Kelly Olenek, Taylor Horton, Tucker, Colin Sexton get to get the money right. And then, you know, they have a dozen first round picks or something like that. They have Taylor Hendricks, Keontae George, Bryce Sensabaugh. I would imagine they wouldn't want to move Hendricks or Sensabaugh. I mean, maybe they'd move Hendricks. He's in the G League right now, but I don't think they would. Uh, Utah is one that, like, they just have a lot of functionality to be able to do a deal like this. I did not think of Utah. I've just sort of blindly assumed that Utah might go the other way and try to get in the Cooper flag sweepstakes uh, instead of trying to improve where they're at right now. But I like that deal potentially. I mean, they have some picks to play with too. They could trade that. I think it was a 2027 Lakers pick they got for trading uh, a lot of their role guys last year at the deadline. So yeah, and they have, that's okay. They have like, all of the picks from Minnesota, they have all of the picks from Cleveland as well from the Rudy and Donovan deals. So like they are, they are loaded with picks to be able to do stuff if they want to do something like that. Give me, give me Hendricks and Sensabaugh and a pick and match the salary somehow. Like you were saying with Olenek. I mean, I thought Olenek would have been a good get for the bulls if they were like trying to win with this team. Yeah. Like Olenek's a pretty good player. So yeah, I like oh, you that could, for sure. You could flip him super easily. I think of course. Or like another one if you want to. So the last one here is the Lakers. We do have to bring up the Lakers. This one can't really happen for a while just because the Lakers signed all of those guys as free agents this year, but the Lakers do have the D'Angelo Russell deal, which would be movable at 17 million. Uh, I mean, like the, the issue for the Lakers is I don't think that they can like top the offers by other teams. Well, you know what I mean? What do you think about Austin Reeves' inclusion in that deal? Do you need Zach Levine and Austin Reeves on the same team? Probably. Like, okay, so like, let's say it is Reeves, right? You then are rocking with LeBron, AD, Levine, Rui, maybe Gabe Vincent, you know, maybe Jared Vanderbilt. Maybe. Uh, Maybe. You might be able to sell me. I, I don't, I'd be surprised if the Lakers moved Austin Reeves, but like maybe you have to, right? Or, and this is where we could get interesting as Search and Destroy brings up in the comments, maybe that's one where you could include Caruso as well. But I think if you include Caruso, I don't know if the Lakers then have enough asset value to top other teams' offers, is kind of where I'm at. Yeah. I'm very interested to see if the Lakers would put Reeves on the table. Uh, I'd probably take, I'm, I'm trying to think like between all these trades, I still think Ivy would be like the best guy you could get, even though like, you know, Reeves is a better player today than Ivy. There's no doubt about that. And given yeah. the Bulls developmental track record dating back to, you know, the post Luol Deng, Ben Gordon, Kirk Heinrich era hasn't been very promising, Sam. So am I trusting the Bulls <laughs> with Aiden Ivy's development? Eh, probably not, but I'd yeah. still take him cause he's a hell of a talent. And, you know, the the Lakers deal to me is the easiest, most convenient deal. If you could get Reeves in that trade, a 2030 or 2029 first round draft pick, and then either Rui, Russell, you know, Vincent, whatever for the salary filler. To me, that is the most likely trade to happen. With the clutch connection, I could see, you know, LeBron wanting to get Zach in there, especially if the Lakers... 
uh, you know, don't take off. Like they've been kind of off to a sputtering start so far. Uh, if the Bulls could get Reeves and a pick in that deal, you know, I think that trade is palatable for Chicago. I think that I think they're going to have better offers than the Lakers offer. I do. I understand what you're saying, and I don't think you're wrong. I just think they're going to have better offers. I hope so. Very, very quickly before we move on to Champions Classic, you are in agreement with me that if they do move Levine, this thing just needs to blow up, right? Please, please, like, they have to. And you know, Sam, a big uh, thing in life—not only in basketball, but in life—is learning from your mistakes. And the Bulls made a mistake last year by not trading Demar Derozan at the deadline, when the team acquiring him could have had two playoff runs with him. Now he's on an expiring deal; his value will be less than what it is. But the Bulls cannot double down on what they currently have going. You know, Sham sort of snuck a line in about DeRozan in his Levine report, which is that the Bulls want DeMar DeRozan back. They just remain far off on the years and the money on a possible extension. I think at basically any number, bringing back DeRozan would be a disaster. I love DeMar DeRozan. He's a wonderful player and a wonderful person. But it is going to be very difficult for anyone else on the roster to have room to breathe while DeMar is playing DeMar ball. And I think that the Bulls absolutely have to move off him. They have to move off Alex Caruso, who should start a huge bidding war because essentially every contender in the league could use Alex Caruso. And if there's anyone who wants to take Vooch in the first year of a three-year $60 million deal, that would be wonderful to me too. Uh, And then as I go about rebuilding the Bulls and saying you prioritize picks and, you know, some appealing young players – and then you probably go the wizard route of trying to use your cap space to take on deals teams want to get rid of with picks coming alongside those guys. So you just try to get as many picks as you can. And, you know, you probably get some guys who would be on quote unquote bad deals or unteam friendly deals. And you try to just build this thing from the ground up because what the Bulls have in place right now is not salvageable. The Bulls need to swallow their pride and realize there is no point in going for the seven seed and the eight seed every year. That's what they want. They want to make the playoffs without paying the luxury tax. Jerry Reinsdorf would take that every year forever. But what the Bulls really should be doing is a major glamour market is try to build the next championship contention team. It's very hard to win a championship, but you have to strive to do it to actually have a chance at it. And you can't strive to be the seven seed which is how they've been operating the last couple off seasons. So uh, they got to trade everyone, Sam, and trading Zach without trading DeMar and Caruso would be a disaster, I think, and would be you know a very short-sighted uh, move for them in the long term. So tear it all down. This team sucks. There's nothing salvageable here. And let's rebuild through uh, picks and young players. So that's a great idea, Ricky. What do you think the reality is going to be? You know, I think that if the Bulls could get someone like Reeves, he makes a lot less money than Levine. He could probably fill in, eh, I don't know, 80% as well as Levine could. You could get a future pick in there, and the Bulls could then re-sign DeMar DeRozan and maybe try to add another piece somehow. I don't know. I think that that's what they want. They, they don't want to blow this team up, in part because they don't work very hard. This front office of Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley, they've just seemed to have no ideas on how to, you know, improve the state of the team over the last few off seasons. To them, what they wanted to do is 
keep the team together if Lonzo would have stayed healthy. You hope Patrick Williams develops a little bit. You hope uh, Kobe White develops a little bit. And then all their draft picks, Dalen Terry, who, Jesus, you know, you thought Chandler Hutchison was the worst draft pick of the Bulls over the last decade, but Dalen Terry's even worse. And then Julian Phillips this year, again, super raw. It's like they drafted very raw guys who I think that they just wanted a long runway for them to develop and then eventually maybe be contributors as DeMar Vooch. DeMar and Vooch aged out, but uh, it was a stupid plan. There was never any upside to that plan, especially after Lonzo went down. And uh, more than anything, the Bulls should fire this front office because I think they've proven themselves to be incompetent, and I have no faith in them to uh, ace the teardown and the you know ensuing rebuild if it happens. So Bulls are in a bad place. What else is new? That's life. Is a fan of a franchise owned by Jerry Reinsdorf, and I'm a fan of two of them the White Sox and the Bulls, and uh, it's rough stuff, man, but something's got to change, and Zach Levine's getting the ball rolling, it seems like. I'm I'm very skeptical that this team goes all in on a rebuild, unfortunately. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do. Uh, Okay, we will be right back. We're going to talk about Champions Classic. We're just going to take a quick commercial break, and then we will be ready to go. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for Nord VPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough. Uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, 
Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Another event happened last night in Chicago besides Zach Levine and companies. I don't even know what to call this. I don't even think it's a trade request. Like it's, it's, it's something. I don't know what it is. Uh, Shout out Choms. Uh, Good for getting this. I I don't know how to explain it. Uh, The champions classic happened last night. Duke played Michigan state. Duke beat Michigan state by nine. I think in the end, maybe 11, something like that. Kentucky played Kansas. Kansas came back from down, I think it was like 13 at one point early there uh, in the second half, maybe early, maybe late in the first half, something like that. They beat Kentucky by five. Fascinating game. Typically, the Champions Classic is an event where a number of general managers go there. They have meetings with other general managers because it's a really good tip-off event for the NBA draft cycle. Kansas, Kentucky, Duke particularly always have really good prospects that it's worth getting eyes on early in the season. So this is like a very real event that teams go to and try to attend from a scouting perspective. This one felt deflating, right? Like there just aren't the level of high level great players that we've seen in past champions classic. Like we're, we're a far throw away from the Zion, RJ Barrett, Cam Reddish, like domination of Kentucky. That uh, was one of like the best college basketball performances I think I've ever seen in my life. Having said that, I still had fun watching this and I thought it was interesting because we got to see a number of lower level prospects potentially step up into the sphere and a number of the guys that we thought might be top five, top 10 lottery, top 20 prospects, maybe not step up in the way that we had hoped. What were kind of your biggest takeaways of champions classic last night while you were there in attendance, Ricky, because we're, we're getting a, we're getting a beautiful live look at champions classic from Ricky. Yeah, I was there. And you know, for the first half of that Duke Michigan state game, I was really asking myself, do I still enjoy college basketball? This is brutal. Like Michigan State's running three 23-year-olds and a 22-year-old out there. That is another way the sport has changed in college basketball, where now all these coaches want to be older, obviously. Get older, you're better. And I think the, in a lot of ways the quality of the sport has improved, but I was wondering, like, is this still as entertaining? I'd rather just watch some prospects and some good, you know, young <laughs> 18 and 19-year-olds than – uh, some 23-year-olds who probably don't have much potential to make it to the NBA. But the second half of Duke-Michigan State was wonderful. Uh, Kansas-Kentucky was a super entertaining game. And by the end of it, I was sucked back in. Of course I love college basketball. How could I ever question my love of it in the first place? I think my main takeaway, so I'll start with Kentucky. Oh, my God, was Justin Edwards horrible. Uh, got stuffed by the rim on a wide-open oh, dunk early in the game. Yeah. He was airballing shots. He was making passes to nobody. I mean, I went in with an open mind. I was a little lower on Justin Edwards than a lot of people heading into the process. 
there's some outlets still that, you know, coming into this week, have him as the number one pick in the 2024 NBA draft. You don't because you know ball, but other outlets who know less ball do have him number one. And then DJ Wagner, I think, you know, a lottery pick everywhere, basically. Uh, I'm so, I'm so disappointed in myself for that. Cause like here's, so here's to take people behind the curtain on the way that I do the mock, right? Especially in the preseason and later on as we get closer, I guess even more so. I had DJ Wagner at like 29 on my first mock in the off season. Cause I, I just have not really been a fan of his. Like I don't love the shot. I don't love finishing. I don't love the shiftiness. Like I, I as everything he showed last night is what I've seen on tape. Then I get told throughout the off season and throughout the preseason. No, he looks great. He looks awesome. I'm telling you like DJ Wagner, he is going to be a dude. Like he looks great. Uh, he's one of the best guards we've seen. And then last night happens. So like, look, when I talk to NBA scouts in the preseason, it's always hit or miss, right? Because they're seeing these guys for snippets. And I try to see, I try to talk to as many as I can that go on different days. Right. So you're not just getting like the one day sample of, oh, like DJ Wagner was great this one day and, you know, the rest of it, he's been shit. Right. Who knows? So it's always hit or miss. Last year, I was super early on Brandon Miller being like a top five pick because of that. I also had Tyrese Proctor as a lottery pick going into last year as a one and done because of that. Like it's going to be so hit or miss based on what the feedback is. So it's always hard. It's hard to like gauge what to expect. I thought Wagner was worse last night than Edwards. Interesting. I thought Edwards Um, was horrible, but they were both terrible. So yeah, I liked that Edwards didn't like compound the issue. It felt like DJ Wagner like compounded the issue and pressed and like went one for 12 from the field and like was way over aggressive defensively and like really tried to do a bunch of shit. Like that's how he ends up. I think he was like a minus 23 in that game or something like that. And they were plus 18 when he was off the court with Edwards. Like if I remember correctly, I think they won Edwards's minutes when he was on the court. Like, I'm not saying the plus minus the be all end all. I don't think Justin Edwards played his best game by any stretch of the imagination last night. I thought he was like pretty okay defensively. I thought that outside of those couple of instances where like it felt like he tried to drive, he got caught up, like he picked up his dribble and didn't really know where to go with the ball at that point. I, I thought that like he was okay just moving it around and like not making an impact or like making an impact just like off the ball. But again, like if you're talking about a top five pick, you want that guy to impact the game. Like you don't want him to just be moving the ball, defending, you know, at a reasonable level, using your length on that end. He got caught ball watching like a couple of times. I felt like, you know, he got caught like not knowing where the ball was a couple of times, but he's so long that like, I felt like he recovered most of the time. He's very big. His size really popped on the court in person. He's a large human. He's enormous. He's long. Like he, I think he is athletic, like on the ground, at least, even if man, that was, uh, it was interesting to see him get blocked by the rim on that dunk attempt. We'll say, uh, 
I thought that Edwards was a little bit, I thought Edwards was like not good, but manageably bad. Maybe is the way to put it. I, I thought Wagner like, like may have, I thought, I didn't think DJ Wagner cost them the game. I thought that John Calipari's insistence on playing DJ Wagner probably cost them the game. Sure. So yes, very rough game for Kentucky's two most heralded prospects. But Sam, a couple other freshmen coming in off the bench. What do these guys have to do to start? Reed Shepard, Rob Dillingham, electric. Rob Dillingham, four threes in 90 seconds. I was very skeptical of the Rob Dillingham experience coming into this season. I thought there's Hand just, up. I was too. There's just too much that can go wrong here, too much that can be taken off the table. But I was really asking, you know, what what he takes away from the team, not what he brings to a team. And you know what, dude? After seeing him last night, I'm I'm very intrigued by Rob Dillingham. I think that I can't wait to watch him more as the season goes on. And a telling moment in that game was, so he hits the four threes in 90 seconds. He had another one lined up, and he passed. He passed, he moved the ball, he moved off the ball. And uh, I just hope that Calipari gives him a longer leash to play through his mistakes. Because the guy is an extremely talented shot maker, and I don't think he's quite as selfish as maybe some people built him up to be uh, in the preseason. So I would love to see more Dillingham. And yeah. Reed looked awesome. I mean, he, that kid, I don't know where you think he stands as a prospect. I, know, I believe he's a tad older than typical freshman age, but just as a college basketball player, he's a killer. If he played three years of college basketball, four years of college basketball, he'd be one of the best players in the country. I mean, he might already be Kentucky's best player, which I think yeah. he did last night. I, so, I think he is. I think he is. To be honest with you, I think he's Kentucky's best player. I all due respect to Rob Dillingham, who's like genuinely awesome and electric with the ball and is so fast. And I'm so glad you brought up the passing with Dillingham. His my favorite play of his last night was the whole 16 minutes that he was on the court. He was just like shoving the ball down like Kansas's throat in transition, right? Like he was going up tempo, driving, going as quick as he could. He stopped at one point early in the second half, jump stopped, looked around, looked around. I think it was mm, it might have been Justin Edwards or Tierro back cut toward the rim and he throws this awesome look away pass like right to the rim it's just like well i think last year frankly with dillingham this would have just been like a contested pull up mid-range jumper and b the vision the creativity to like create that open passing lane was awesome I i think he's really really creative and sharp i thought he was like horrible defensively last night like he he was I thought he was like egregiously bad defensively. And Dewan Harris made him pay by going under yeah. those ball screens. Honestly, though, I'm telling my team to go under a Dewan Harris ball screen too. He made him pay, I'm, but we'll talk about Dewan here in a second. But I thought that Dillingham like got way over aggressive hunting steals. I thought that he went like he couldn't navigate screens. Like there's a difference between going under and like being able to navigate the screen. And just like not being able to navigate the screen. I thought that those last two threes that Dewan hit, like those were like on Dillingham. The first yeah. one was he went for a steal, um, I think on Hunter and Hunter just like kicked it out to Dewan and Dewan had like all day to set to shoot. 
The second one was Hunter set like a screen and Dillingham just like got completely caught up in it. Yeah. That that's what he's going to have to improve, but he is electric with the ball. That dude is a real potential one and done talent. I, I am like very, very interested in him. I think Reed Shepard is Kentucky's best player. Uh, Reed Shepard is an elite shooter. He's an elite mover without the ball. Uh, he can play point. If you noticed last night, Kansas went on that great run in the second half where like they took the lead. I think it was maybe like 64, 62, something like that. And then like it went kind of back and forth a little bit. After Dillingham picked up his fourth foul with 10 minutes left, they put Reed Shepard in at point guard. When they took Reed out, he had created a ton of really good shots. He had done a great job of getting everybody involved. He'd knocked down a couple of shots. He actually blew by. He blew by someone in a ball screen and then blew by Hunter Dickinson in a switch, like really impressively. I mean, look, it's Hunter, but like it's the same token, like being able to showcase like any sort of speed, I think for Reed was the biggest thing. He has to start like between what he is capable of on the offensive end as just a connective piece, a fast ball mover, keeps things rolling on the perimeter, an elite shooter, an elite mover without the ball, the ability to play with the ball. And oh, by the way, do you know how many stocks he has so far this season? Ricky, you might like have looked this up already. I don't. How many do you think he has? It's been three, three games. games. Uh, let's say 11 stocks. He has 13 stocks in three wow. games. Like, I think he has like four blocks and nine steals. It's ridiculous. Like his hand-eye coordination is unbelievable. He's super disruptive defensively. I love everything that I've seen about the Reed Shepard experience. He has to start for Kentucky at this point. Like he is the non-negotiable for me at Kentucky right now. Like it, with Dillingham, I would start him. But if you want to make the case, oh, he needs some work defensively, you know, maybe he might be better as like a spark plug off the bench. I'll hear that out. Right. Reed has to, Reed has to play 30 minutes. Like I, I don't care what the, what the move is here moving forward. Yeah, I agree. He was awesome last night. And it's such a weird experience watching this Kentucky team because I've gone to the Champions Classic a bunch. I wrote about this in my column today, linking all my old coverage of previous Champions Classics. I'm remembering the game from 2015, Sam, where Kentucky had more offensive rebounds than Kansas had made field goals. Uh, or that was the 2014-2015 season, so early 24 or late 2014, but uh, you know, you think Kentucky is usually going like two seven footers on the front line under Calipari and uh, yeah. taking a lot of mid range twos and just like tough struggle ball. It feels like, but yesterday it was just like it's all guards, just bombing threes. Everyone in the front court's hurt, so Calipari has no choice but to sort of lean into the strengths of this roster, which is shooting and on ball creation and whatever Justin Edwards is supposed to provide. And I think that. Uh, it was a really entertaining product to watch. I'm excited to see where they go from here. I think Edwards and Wagner will be better because they can't be any yeah. worse. Terrio is just a ball of energy, and he's so much fun to watch. Bill Self, after the game, was really praising their lineups with Trey Mitchell at the five and how hard that makes them to defend. So Kentucky, I'm intrigued. Are they great? No, I don't think so. They don't have enough size to be a great team. But they are fun. They are entertaining. And I'm going to be glued to the Wildcats this year. 
Uh, I also wanted to pick your brain on Duke, Sam, real quickly before so, we wrap. So hold, hold on, I want to I want to talk about a couple other things before we get to the Duke game, because sure. uh, I, I want to do like the K- Kentucky and Kansas game. So cool. on Kentucky, they do get three seven footers back at some point. Aaron Bradshaw, Ugana Onyenso, Zvonimir Vesic. We'll see what they can bring. We'll see what their health looks like. We hope that they're back, right? All the indications that they will be back, that could alleviate some things. And all three of those guys, well, Ugana can't, but like two of those guys in theory can shoot. And they could, in theory, play five out in the way that they've done with Mitchell so far. Uh, Kansas, real quick. I just want to take a minute here. Kansas has three guys, two guys, let's say, that I love. Uh are you in on the Dewan Harris like could be an NBA player vibe like I am? Yeah, as a backup, I mean, why not? It, it's hard to write him off. He's such a tough on-ball point guard defensively. He's a really good facilitator, yeah. and the shot's improving. So I don't think I'm quite there, but I like where your head's at, and it's a good, it's an interesting take. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Dewan Harris is tough as shit. He is the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year last year. He has phenomenal hands defensively. I'd bet you he has like a plus five, plus six wingspan. He is a savant offensively in terms of making the right decision and just finding his open teammates all across the map every single time that he takes the court. The shot is not broken. It just has a slow release. Like it takes him a minute to really load into it, but he hits 40% when he's open, right? So if you're going to leave him open, like, I don't think you can just leave him like Kentucky chose to going under his screens. If you do, I think you're going to get hit. That's kind of what every team wants in a backup point guard in the NBA, right? Like guy who makes great decisions, guy who can make spot threes, defends. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not saying the guy's a first round pick or anything, but like, I kind of like the Dewan Harris experience. I just pulled up his numbers and I can't believe he's a career 40% three point shooter. It's on low volume but still. I didn't realize maybe just because of the way the shot looks that he was such an accurate shooter. So I like where your head's at, that, where your head is at there. And, and where are you at on the Kevin McCuller experience at this point? Cause I think McCuller, and this is like, I don't mean this negatively, I think he put up the ugliest triple double I've ever seen in my life last night. And it's just like the most Kevin McCuller experience for him to be like phenomenal defensively, take on the Antonio Reeves matchup for most of the night and force him into like three for 17 from three and then have 10 assists versus one turnover and 10 rebounds and then go three for 11 from the field himself. Right. Where are you on this? Because if he can ever shoot, he is, unequivocally like a real valuable NBA rotation player. Yeah. Went to the combine last year, saw him in Chicago and I thought he might've kept his name in the draft last year, but Kansas is lucky to have him back because he's a hell of a college basketball player. He does bring a lot of those connective traits that teams want uh, in their wings. Very quick to move off the ball. Uh, Like you said, he'll guard the toughest assignment He's just big as hell, too. I mean, yeah. is he a legit 6'7", do we think? And he is like a strong, grown man's frame. So there's a lot there to like. Uh, I could see it with him. He's also just like competitive as hell. Like, 
I mean, yeah. he's got that dog in him for sure. Like I, I was sitting courtside last year at the round of 32 in Des Moines watching Arkansas versus Kansas. And there were some Arkansas fans who were yapping quite a bit. Kevin, McC- Kevin McCuller telling him, you know, you're playing in China after this. This is as good as your basketball career is going to get. And he was just barking at him back all night, making big plays. So, <laughs> yeah, man, I think that uh, he has a lot of the connective traits you want. And if the shot comes around, like that's the type of guy who is just like a low maintenance back of the roster player who, you know, could capably soak up some minutes. I think that that's a pretty decent developmental bet. Yeah. And if, the shot comes like he's a real like valuable NBA player. I, look, I don't know where I sit on the shot ever coming. Uh, I think it's going to be, it's probably a hard sell, but you know what? He's good enough to where I think he's an NBA player without it. It's just like, can he be like a valuable one with it? You wanted to talk about Duke. So give me, give me some Duke thoughts here. I want to know where you're at with Proctor. Because Proctor and Foster, those are the two guys I wanted to watch. Obviously, the big storyline for yeah. Duke was Caleb Foster's big night. After playing only 12 minutes and not attempting a field goal in Duke's previous game against Arizona, Caleb Foster was the star of the game. John Shire said after the game, we won tonight because of Caleb Foster. And, of course, he's not wrong. Foster shoots 7 of 8, really showing off his off-ball scoring skill set was able to run offense a little bit too. And to me, he just has a very diverse shooting diet. I think like as a spot up shooter generates a lot of power and deep range on his shots. He can pull up off the dribble from mid range too. not the best athlete in the world. Uh, Defensively. I think there's some question marks. Also, he's older. I think he'll be 20 basically by the time he's drafted, but he looked pretty good yesterday. And then you compare that with Proctor. I'm just, curious where you're at with Proctor these days because to me I want to like him I can talk myself into him because he has a pretty well-rounded game he's got good size I historically like guards similar to Tyrese Proctor but there's just something that leaves me like if I'm gonna spend a top 10 pick on a guard doesn't he have to have a little bit more juice as a scorer than what Tyrese seems to provide doesn't he have yeah. to be a little bit sharper as a shooter than where Proctor seems to be at right now? So I'm a little unsold on Tyrese Proctor. I'm not sure if maybe you like him more than me. Maybe I'll change my mind in a month from now. But I was not super impressed with him. But I liked I liked what I saw from Caleb Foster. How couldn't you? Yeah. Let's start with Proctor, I guess, because this is a harder conversation. I thought he was, like, really, really, really good in the second half. Like... I think I counted the eight potential assists in the second half alone in that game last night. And I think they converted like five of them. Like he ended up, I think he had like eight points, five assists and like five rebounds in the second half or four rebounds in the second half or something like that. He he was like really, really good. The issue is the scoring. And I think that we can sell ourselves on these guys. It's like the Killian Hayes corollary. Right. Where like that's that's the immediate thing that like comes up when I watch Proctor is there is a lot of Killian Hayes and Tyrese Proctor. And I mean that both positively in terms of like this dude can throw live dribble passes one handed across the court everywhere from any angle. But he can't separate from his man. He needs a ball screen or an advantage or he needs to cut or like he needs to be getting a heavy closeout and then he's driving off of it. He can't just beat somebody. Right which makes it harder. 
then the jumper is that jumper should go in, right? Like you're with me. The the way it looks, that jumper, it looks great. He's played 16 games against what Ken Palm qualifies as tier a competition. Do you know what Tyrese Proctor is shooting from three in those games? I don't want to guess. So just tell me 26% from three. It feels like the shot should go in more than it does. If the shot doesn't go in, there's a lot of Killian Hayes there. And I mean that again, like defensively, I thought Proctor was fucking outstanding last night. Like Tyson Walker went nuts and everything. I think only two of those buckets came on Tyrese Proctor. I think Proctor forced him into some misses early in the first half as well. Help defense wise. He was awesome. I think he actually denied the ball really well. You watch him in ball screens. He's fantastic in terms of his positioning, uh, both when trying to recover and get rear view contests and when Duke runs their goofy ass hard hedge that we need to like fucking outlaw from basketball and like stop coaches from doing it. So I love a lot of what I see. He would not be a lottery pick in my opinion in a normal draft like in a, let's call it like average draft where we know who the lottery picks are in this draft where I like, I'm just trying to find NBA players. I feel like, I think he's an NBA player, like for sure, just in terms of the feel, the defense and you hope that the jumper comes right. Sure. I mean, yeah, he, he definitely has a pretty well-rounded skill set. He's got NBA size in the backcourt. Man, if I'm taking a guard in the lottery, I just want it to look a little easier than Tyrese. He just doesn't make it look easy. Like, ever. well, like, so. so, so here, would you take him or Rob Dillingham? Because, like, this is kind of like the fun yeah. comparison point, right? Because Dillingham has all the fucking juice in the world off the bounce and can also pass a little bit and can shoot at a higher level, in my opinion, than Proctor can probably. But he's extremely small and right. it's hard to be small in the NBA. Dillingham is never going to be able to defend even at the college level, let alone the NBA level. I'm going to guess Dillingham's weight is about 160 pounds. Just guessing off the top of my head. I can't imagine he's more than 180 at all. So he, he's just so tiny. So like, you know, narrow shoulders, doesn't look like he has strong legs, but you know what? I just don't think there's enough upside in Proctor. And I typically go for the upside. So I want to say Dillingham, but also, yeah, Give me some runway on this because I just need to see more of these players. We've only played a 100%. couple of college basketball games this year, but I am I'm tantalized by Rob Dillingham. We'll see if it all comes crashing down to earth. That's why the draft is in June and not in November. Uh, but I want to say Dillingham right now, and maybe I'll look bad for that take six months from now. Look, I, I think that one of us is going to look bad because I would say Proctor, and it's just because of the size in yeah. the defense. Like, there's just so much more margin for error with somebody like Tyrese Proctor than there is Rob Dillingham, who has totally, l- literally, like zero margin for error. In ter- like, he has to be fucking elite offensively, and he, like, truly, he might be. Like, he is. He looks awesome with the ball in his hands. The passing is really improved, but like, it's just really hard. It is fucking hard to be six foot one in the NBA and that skinny. Uh, you mentioned Caleb Foster as well. Yeah. I love the Foster knocked down those. What was it? Three or four catch and shoot threes. I think, th- I think four. No, I think he knocked down three. No, I don't know. He knocked down three or four catch and shoot threes. 
his best play of the night, I thought, was when he like kind of snaked that ball screen and got into the mid range and hit that pull up. Look, Caleb Foster's shot looks funky as hell. I went back through all the synergy numbers. I think I have like 300 something shots of sample on Caleb Foster. He has never been below 35% at any stop. And I think that it's like 38 or so from three, like across multiple years encompassing like multiple things. So like at a certain point, I just have to go, this dude can shoot, right? Even though it looks funky as hell. And even though it's weird, it has a great trajectory. It comes off his hand, super soft. I don't know. Like, I feel like he can shoot, right? Sure. Seemed like it last night. And I know yeah. that on the EYBL in the summer session, especially, I believe he was on team Thad. I want to say in yeah. the EYBL, but uh, yep. he was awesome on the EYBL. His numbers were phenomenal. So again, yeah, he's a little he like, yeah, he averaged like 25 and six or something and shot like 40% from three. Like he was unbelievable in the UIBL. And I've been told he had an up and down high school career uh, beyond the UIBL stuff, just in terms of like his main high school stuff. So, yeah, I, I didn't, you know, he's someone who fell like a cup below McDonald's All-American level. He was probably like on the fringes of that discussion and didn't get the nod. So I think that, you know, we're still sort of learning who he is as a player, you know, not being in the all-star stuff. So we'll see, but he looked good last night. And, you know, I'm just struck by his frame. Like, he's obviously just really long. I couldn't find a wingspan yeah. measurement on him today. But, you know, it looks at least plus three or four at least. And he's yeah. probably like 6'5". So yep. uh, I like the frame. I, you know, the shot is seemingly reliable. The stats kind of back it up. And I want to see more tape on him, obviously. But I was impressed by what I saw last night. I was really impressed with the shooting i was impressed with like the one dribble pull up i was impressed with that snake ball screen i thought he could not get by anybody uh like at all like he definitely needs a ball screen but if you can shoot that's okay like he again being six five being able to shoot having that length you have real margin for error so i don't know i feel okay i i feel I think he's probably more of a two and done, especially if he wants to play point guard. Cause like he's his lead guard skills are not there yet. If he wants to be like a lead guard one and done, but he doesn't have to be because he's six, five and because he can shoot. So I'm, I'm like optimistic, but just want to see more kind of at this stage. What, what did you think of flip last night? Kyle Filipowski. I thought he started strong, had kind of a rough game by the end of it. Uh, athletic limitations still seem to be there for him a bit, especially in terms of like the finishing inside. There were a couple times late in the game where he just didn't get like the pop he needed, I thought, to finish. But in general, I, I buy him as like a 10-year NBA pro. I think, you know, yeah. just with the frame, the ability to stretch the floor defensively. And he's a really damn good passer. Like whether he's out of the post or whether – uh, you know, you have him at the elbow. I think that he really offers a lot of, like, versatility on the floor. He's just sort of gravity-bound and slow. And uh, I, I read your thing about, you know, him having hip surgery, which I didn't know about. That was a great yeah. little uh, tidbit by you in your most recent mock draft at The Athletic. So yeah. I like him as a sort of a lower ceiling but higher floor big man who, in a bad 2024 draft, you know, you could do a lot worse than him. I think. Yeah. 
the passing is interesting with Flip because like I think that he can do it. Like the biggest play last night was a Kyle Filipowski post up where he got doubled and like threw this awesome like cross corner whip pass to Caleb Foster. Yes. Who made a three to like take it out to nine points and effectively like ended the game. I also think that like he gets tunnel visioned as a shoot like as a scorer sometimes, especially on the block where like he gets crowded and he'll just like chuck one up kind of toward the rim. I want to see more of the passing. He's only had one game so far in his career where he's had more than three assists. And last night he had three assists. So I think that he can do it. I think that it's there. I just want to see a little bit more. Uh defensively, I think he does look a little bit shiftier through his hips. Like he had one possession last night where he had to like drop his hips three times to try and cut off angles. And I was like, okay, that's actually pretty interesting. I don't know if he can like protect the rim at like a center level in terms of what you're hoping for, but he's a first round pick. Like he's definitely a top 20 guy for me, at least in this draft. Uh, Teams are all over the map on him. Some teams really like him as a lottery guy. Other teams think like end of first round kind of situation just because there are limitations there, as Ricky said. Uh, Jared McCain is the last guy. I thought McCain was, you know, I think McCain felt like lost some confidence after he missed a few open threes and then just kind of was out there doing cardio for his like 20, 25 minutes that he played. Um, I mean, Michigan State, I saw somebody asked about Xavier Booker. Everyone needs to smile. What's the deal with Xavier Booker? He was always a project to me, right? I like Cohen Carr out of their freshmen. Like, to me, he's probably the most intriguing guy. But, man, he can't shoot at all. They weren't guarding him anywhere on the perimeter last night. And he did a decent job, like, eating up the space at times as a cutter and just, like, finding ways to make an impact. But he's raw. He's still pretty far away. And I think, like, Michigan State, ultimately, from, like, a college team perspective, like, they need to get those three freshmen contributing because otherwise they have, like, a – high floor, low ceiling team to me. Like they're pretty good, but they're not like great. I don't think. And they need, you know, they got three good freshmen sitting there on the bench and Izzo will probably develop them a bit over the course of the season. So uh, I I would take Carr out of all those guys in terms of who I think is the most intriguing, but yeah, Booker's never done too much for me. Yeah, I agree. I also like Cone Carr. Uh, Cone Carr had three blocks last night <laughs> in 12 minutes. Uh, he had insane athlete. Is he the best athlete in the country, Sam? What do you think? I think he is. Basketball? I actually yeah. wrote that today that I think oh, he's nice. the best athlete in the country. Um, yeah, incredible athlete. Just has so much more work to do on the skill set. And that's okay. Like, he'll do that at Michigan State. It'll take a year. It'll be fine. Uh that's about all I've got on champions. Do you have any any other strong draft takes you need to get off your chest? Oh, I don't th- I don't think so right now. I'll spare myself after choosing Rob Dillingham over Tyrese Proctor. That was enough of a hot take. I love episode, it, but like people people keep coming to me with like these takes, and I'm just like, yeah, sure, sounds good. Like you might be right. I'm I'm not going to sit here and rule out anything at this point. Yeah. Like when you say you'd rather take Rob Dillingham than Tyrese Proctor. Like I have talked to people in the league, like scouts that believe that. So you are not alone. Any opinion that anybody holds this year in the draft, I am telling you guys, you are not alone. Uh, you assuredly will have agreement if you can find the right person in the NBA to talk to, because it's a real thing. Uh, this draft is all over the map. There is no certainty whatsoever. 
I do want to shout out Bub Carrington. That might be my like Hell I'm yeah. putting my flag down on Bub Carrington as like Love a really it. interesting dude at Pitt. Could just be my Pittsburgh showing. Shout out the hats in the back. Uh Ricky, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. Yeah, you can read all my work at SBNation.com covering the NBA college basketball. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at SBN underscore Ricky and listen to my Bulls podcast, Cash Considerations, if you enjoyed this Bulls discussion. Ricky's the best. Go listen to Cash Considerations. Go follow his work at SB Nation. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe. Go to the YouTube channel. You can watch Ricky and I do this. Uh, what else do I have coming? I'm going to do a Cam Thomas tape breakdown this week at some point. I'm going to, I think, do a Jalen Suggs breakdown. At some point, uh, probably tomorrow, I will do those. I've pulled the Suggs tape. Uh, I haven't done the Cam Thomas game yet. That'll be tonight. I have a Zach Levine like trade overview coming at The Athletic. I wrote a big deep dive over at Champions Classic as well. Uh, and then tomorrow, at some point, I believe that Bryce Simon and I are going to do the first mock draft of the year over on the Game Theory podcast. So keep it locked here. We will be back later this week with more. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.